Larry, as we get started here, that today is a grateful day. That's always what I call a show day, because uh, we have Phil Lesh and his family band at Red Rocks. So I'm recording this podcast from the steps of Red Rocks, and I'm looking forward to talking about some of the experiences I've had here over the years. Saw the Grateful Dead here a bunch between 1983 and 1987. But also, substantively, I think we should talk about my trip to Washington, D.C. last week. Yeah, that's what I want to hear about. Very interesting. As a, I've learned more and more about Washington every time I go there. This is my fifth time going there to lobby Congress with the National Cannabis Industry Association. And, mm-hmm. you know, you got to leave your your reason and logic at the door in Washington, D.C., because, you know, we come from the business world, the cannabis industry in the business world. In Washington, economic issues really come in about fifth. You know, the first is, will it help me get reelected? Will it offend my donor base? Are there social issues that we have to deal with? As Congressman Steve Scalise told me, one of my first trips here five years ago, he said, you know, we know here in Washington that we're five years or so behind public opinion. And we are institutionally designed to do that and to be that way. We don't want to do anything on a knee jerk. We want to make sure all sides have been heard and all the arguments have been made before the federal government makes a change. So on the big cannabis issues, federal legalization, business deductions under 280E, safe banking, I really think those issues might still be two or three years off. So, But the good news is they're taking us seriously. You know, when I first started doing this, they literally laughed at us. They said, is there really a National Cannabis Industry Association? And today, every politician in elected office or running for office has to take a position on cannabis. And the tide is with us. So that was my big takeaway from Washington, D.C. Yeah, we haven't got anything, our big issues settled or passed in our favor but they're taking us seriously there's bills before congress they may not make it the bills may not make it this congress or this year but it's coming and people are lining up with their issues and their uh, financial issues their tax issues you know will there be an excise tax on marijuana if it's federally legal how much will that be i heard a lot about social justice um, we got surprising when we were asking for support for our safe banking bill and our 280E fix. Um, we got pushback from the left. I won't mention names, really? but some very um, important congressmen and senator said, no, you know, we're not supporting the bill as it stands right now. Not until we have more of our social justice issues addressed. And what they're looking for uh-huh. there is, well, they, and they, they make some good points. I'm not against any of that. Um, they want they don't want the cannabis industry to be all white. They they want it to be have people of color. They want carve outs and preferences on licensing for minorities. They want access to capital, maybe through government grants for inner city cannabis businesses. So those those are the social justice issues that are out there. Well, no, what you're talking about is 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 fascinating, and it's you know it's unfolding on the national level. And we're sitting here watching it similarly unfold on the state level in Illinois as they go through uh, addressing the new adult use bill that Governor Pritzker introduced just recently. 
and they're facing a lot of the exact same issues on the statewide level that you're talking about on the federal level. And interestingly enough, you know, the social this issue pops up as one of those issues that everybody seems to think should be included, but nobody can agree on how it should be included. And it's been very interesting to watch it play out here on the state level, because in Illinois, certainly in Cook County, the African-American and Hispanic populations make up a significant portion of the population in that area. And without the support of those communities, this kind of bill will have a very hard time passing. Um, but now that the, at least the initial ideas have been put into place, people are finding out it's not so easy to engage in that type of you know, legislation. So it's interesting to see it play out everywhere. But what I really like most importantly about what you just said is the change in attitude that you've experienced over the last five years. And the fact that people now take you seriously and are willing to have this conversation with you is significant. And even if they're not yes. giving us the answers that we're looking for right now, the fact that at least they're taking the time to talk to you and take you seriously is a huge step in the right direction. Yes. And the question is, you know, how do you get it done? I guess my big takeaway is that the federal government is not going to give us the cannabis industry on a silver platter. They are going to get paid for it one way or the other. And getting paid for it may not be in dollars. It might be in social justice issues and preferences for minorities. It might be to pay for infrastructure. It might be to pay for a particular head of a committee's pet project. Um, some very smart um, lobbyists. I had a 20-minute meeting with them that turned into a two-hour meeting. And, and they said, you have to understand how things get done in Washington. It is the Christmas tree where everybody gets to hang an ornament on the Christmas tree and everybody's pet project. But what was very important, they said, to fix the tax deductions and the banking, you need to move it from a marijuana issue. You have a lot of congressmen and senators that don't want to stick their necks out there on the word marijuana. They said you need to turn it into a tax issue and make it into a revenue issue and that the senators right. and congressmen can get their projects funded with revenue from marijuana. So I'm learning a lot. I think I may have learned more this time than the other four times combined. But it does seem like we're getting some traction. And it does seem now the basic gist of things in Washington, it is inevitable. It's, when, it's more when and how and no longer if. I think that's absolutely true, when and how. And that's what we're going to see. It, it, tide has shifted in a way that will not allow it to go back in the other direction, which is great. But, you know, as I tell a lot of my clients, the problem with an industry actually becoming legal is that now you have all of the other headaches and all of the other problems and all of the other everything that any other business has. And so while we're working our way through these issues, again, you know, the thing that I just keep coming back to is how great is it that, we're, that we have these issues that we get to work our way through, right? Five years ago, there were no issues because there was no business going on. And now, right. yeah, people are, people are, you know, experiencing what the rest of the business world experiences to some degree with regulation and working things out and, and what's going to yep. be the best public policies. And, you know, the short answer is we don't really know because although it's, it's been part of the public forever, it's never been part of the public in a way that the government was participating in and, you know, keeping an eye on And now they are. So, okay, well, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm going to talk now because I want to follow up on what you just said, which I, I agree with completely. If we get banking, true financial services for the industry, if we get tax deductions like any other normal business, 
we'll have a real industry. Until then, it's still it's the wall west. It uh, changes every day. People who got along yesterday are suing each other today. You know, what you thought you were doing right, you're getting penalized for by a uh, state regulator. Um, capital formation is crazy, but our lives are not boring. Well, that's true. They're not boring. And every time one of these issues arises and we have to deal with it, it's, you know, what I call a good headache. It's a, it's a headache that you want to have because it's a, it's a regular businessman's headache. And that's all you can ever ask for. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I'll switch gears here a little bit. Experiences I've had here at Red Rocks. Uh, Red Rocks holds about 9,500 people. So it's a fairly mm-hmm. small venue. It's not a stadium at all. And it's said to have some of the most perfect acoustics of any amphitheater in the United States. There's a, the stage is literally a rock. It's actually called Stage Rock. And all the rocks have names. There's Constellation Rock. There's Ship Rock. And during the day, it's open to the public. And you, a lot of people come here and exercise on climbing up the steps. There's, you got to be in shape to go to Red Rocks because you're at about 6,000 feet above sea level. And there's a lot of climbing up. It's about, I don't know, probably 100 steps just to get up to the stage level. And then the amphitheater goes up from there. So you see a lot of people winded and puffing and puffing coming up the stairs here. Anyway, the Grateful Dead played their first show here in 1978, right around the 4th of July. And those are some very famous shows. Dark Star Orchestra recreated the second Grateful Dead show. I think it was July 5th, 1978, here at Red Rocks last year. And they re- it's one of the top-rated Grateful Dead shows of all time, and they did a wonderful job recreating that concert here last year. Those two shows are part of a, uh, a larger box set that the Dead released uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, five shows from that tour in 1978, including those two Red Rock shows, and they are uh, fantastic shows. Huh. Well, somehow I missed that, because I don't believe I have that in my collection. But well, uh, my first Grateful Dead so. show here was 1983. And um, my wife and I moved here in 82, so we didn't see the 82 shows, but we did see 83, 84, 85. 86 was when Jerry had his coma, so the shows got canceled that year. And then 87 was the last year. In 1987, that's when In the Dark came out, and the Grateful Dead just got really, really big nationally. And so they outgrew Red Rocks. And that show, uh, there was way more people at that show. And as I was at most of those shows between 83 and 87, and I was at the very last Grateful Dead show here in August of 1987, and it was so overcrowded. There's a hill behind Red Rocks where on sold-out shows, they let the young people climb up there on the hill. You can't really see the stage or anything, but you can hear it just fine. There was people up on the hill behind Red Rocks. I'll never forget the last song that they they played that night was Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door. And all the kids came down from the hill to the round parking lot at the top of Red Rocks. And they all were dancing in the headlights of the cop cars. (laughs) See, that's fun. I like that. That's, uh, you know, kind of sticking it. uh, Not really sticking it back in their face, but letting them know that, hey, you may be here, but uh, we're having a good time, too. Well, I was only there once uh, to see the Grateful Dead, and that was in 1984. And a group of us... uh, drove out from Ann Arbor, went out there to see the shows. We had heard all about Red Rocks. We had never seen it though before. 
and got there and, and was just amazed by it. And you're right, Jim, it, in, in reality, it, it holds just under 10,000 people. But when you get there, you, you first walk in and you look up and it just kind of seems to go straight up forever. Uh, and then when you get to the very top and you're looking out over the stage and over the, the foothills and over the city and out onto the plains and, you know, if you're lucky and there's a storm far enough out in the east, you can see all the lightning and everything and it's just wonderful. And we had a great time, uh, but speaking of the weather, the second night uh, we were uh, getting ready to head to the show and we got stuck in a hailstorm. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was driving her brand new uh, Ford um for an escort and there was four of us in addition to her so five of us crammed into this car and you know there was no place to pull over that had a that had any kind of protective covering so we pulled into the ga- uh, parking lot of a gas station and sat there while these hail balls pounded off of her car and it was a hatchback and in, in the middle of the hatchback window was a steal your face sticker and all of a sudden a little square piece of glass held together by the steal your face sticker popped out <laughs> And then we knew we were in trouble, and 30 seconds later, the whole, the, all the glass broke. Um, we scrambled the glass out of there to put it the back of the car. We, we still made our way up to Red Rocks. We got there in the middle of the first set. It was pouring down rain. Uh, it was a great show. And in the second set, heading into drums, they were playing Ship of Fools as the moon came out. And Jerry was playing this guitar solo at the end of the song. And, and the moon was coming out from behind the clouds. And, you know, in a way that only Jerry can do, he hit the last note right as the moon made its full appearance. And everybody was just kind of blown away. But the, the, the real fun was the third night when they broke out Dear Mr. Fantasy for the first time. And, right, and right. we were all, uh, you know, we, it was, it was yep. crazy, right? They were playing Shakedown into this great plane in the band. And they were just jamming, jamming, jamming. And without really much of a musical intro, Brent just started singing it. And Jerry picked up with it, and by the time they got it around the second time, boy, they were cranking on it, and we just, we couldn't believe it. And people, it, it brought the house down, everybody was so excited to hear it, and it was just, you know, we, we should devote some time to talking about those breakout moments when, you know, certain songs get broken out for the first time and how cool it is, and that was one of them. A, a month later, I was with all my deadhead buddies in the Midwest. They're playing and jamming, and everybody's like, what song is this? I was like, oh, guys, weren't you brought up? This is Dear Mr. Fantasy. And, you know, and as you know, being, being at a dead show and being able to call the next song correctly is a big thing. Right, right. Yeah, but of course, that's a Steve Winwood song. Steve in Traffic, yeah. I've always kind of related to that verse of that song. Please don't be sad if it was a straight life you had. We wouldn't have known you all these years. And I kind of yeah. relate that to, to my career where I got to do what I wanted and was self-employed and could go to all the shows I wanted to go to, but I always have up the business end of things too. But it feels good to it feels really good to be here at Red Rocks. And I'm listening to looks like we're gonna get a throwing stones tonight, I'm hearing on the soundtrack. That's awesome. Well it's gonna be great for you guys. I want to hear all about the shows and uh, you and I'll have to touch base cool. and you'll give me the scoop and in case you saw my email I'm I'm trying to get myself out there for debt and company too. So we'll talk about that also. Yeah, I hope I hope you do it. Uh, we plan to do a uh, podcast from my barn for uh, during the Dead and Company run at Folsom Field, so we have that to look forward to. And I have some guests lined up for that. Some people from sobriety community, the uh, people who do the rehab and and what their take is on on legal marijuana and how they see that is either a plus or a minus with the work that they do, mostly with alcohol. The the big drug, of course, is alcohol. 
that causes right. more problems than anything else. But so yeah, I'm looking forward to future podcasts and uh, doing the one from uh, Dead and Co. All right, I'm gonna go. Thank you all very much. Jimmy, have a great time tonight, and I hope you hear what you want to hear. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.